Hello and welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. It's a sensational episode 77. I'm your co-host Mike Parsons and as always, the man with a plan, the man himself, Mark Pearson Freeland. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Mike. It is a pretty soggy day in Sydney, isn't it? It's a very autumnal, almost winter day. (laughs) Soggy. Soggy is indeed the right word, but there's nothing soggy about the thinking of Adam Grant, is there? Uh, I tell you what, this series, you know, starting with Give and Take, then into Originals, and now into Option B, uh, it's just been a great one. I've enjoyed delving into Adam Grant's work so, so much. What about you, Mike? I, I, I must say that I've known of uh, Adam and his work for some time, but having got into it, I'm not sure if I can say he's quite at a Simon Sinek level, um, but he is a real contender um, in terms of presenting thinking that we can we can really use. Um, I love this idea um, of the give and take, which was the first part of the series, um, and being far more humble in how we go out to the world and to, to help others. And then I, I thought it was super inspiring. Originals, the previous show, I really, really thought about how to think differently, how to maybe be a bit contrarian, um, and how it's a real habit that you have to build. I thought that was fantastic. But today we go into option B, which he co-wrote with Sheryl Sandberg of Facebook, and it is, it's a really hefty one. I think uh, um, this, this package comes labelled with heavy duty, <laughs> don't you think, Mark? <laughs> it does. Look, this, this book, more so than the others, is just very, very personal. It's obviously, you know, supplemented with lots and lots of Adam Grant's, uh, Dr. Adam Grant's excellent data and all the research that he's done. But it's really, really touching. It's very, very personal and very, very open. And like you say, it should probably come with a little bit of a, a um, when you do get into the book, it's, it can be quite challenging and quite emotional. Mm. Mm. So I think, uh, I think the way to, to frame what's to come uh, on this show is we're going to get into, uh, into this idea of being resilient, which seems quite appropriate since we've all been quarantined and stuck at home and dealing with that whole transition. But, you know, resilience really starts by step number one is facing up to adversity and, and not running away from it um, and not running away from your problems but facing them and building that resilience because if you do that, there's so many good things, fulfillment, joy, happiness, all that good stuff if you can um, follow this advice from Adam Grant. And we're going to not only show you how to get tough, get in the ring with resilience, with adversity and give it some resilient knock around, but we're also going to show how you can become a leader and how you can transform the people around you. So it is going to be an action-packed show. So we got lots of great clips for the third uh, and final part of our Adam Grant series. But before we go there, Mark, we have a very special announcement. We've achieved a very special uh, hallmark for the show. How many ratings and reviews have we reached, Mark? Let me, let me just pull out the trumpet. I want to thank everybody. We have reached the 100 ratings and reviews mark. Woohoo! That is pretty damn awesome. A huge thank you to all of you uh, listening to the show. This means that across all the different podcast apps and software and all those gadgets, we have been reviewed and rated uh, now over 100 times, and um, it is um, a key way uh, to new people discovering the show. So we're incredibly grateful for people doing that. Um, and if you're listening to this and thinking, actually, Mike and Mark, they're not too shabby, they're not too bad, well, then just jump into your software uh, that you're listening to this show on um, and leave a little rating, a review, send us your heart, uh, your thumbs up, whatever you got for us, we'll take it. And we, we certainly love to hear as well um, people's um, feedback and suggestions. Adam Grant, in fact, was a suggestion from you, our listeners, 
So uh, we should probably dig into the archives, Mark, and find out which listener sent us that email. You're um, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so note to self there. But um, who was the person that got us across the 100, Mark? Well, I'm going to uh, claim it is Mr. Rathensag from Germany who left us a very, very kind review the other day. And I'm going to give him or her the uh, the award <laughs> I think the medal. The Centurion, the yeah. Centurion Award. Exactly, exactly. Nice. And, you know, look, the reason why this is so important uh, for you, Mark, and all of our listeners is we catapulted uh, through all these ratings and reviews. Uh, we now hit top 100 charts in Canada, Austria, Poland, Portugal, Argentina, Singapore, and, of course, Uganda. So they're all new uh, listeners to the show. We welcome all of you and we hope that you can uh, enjoy learning from innovators, which is really at the heart of what we do here at the Moonshots podcast. Just as we've been talking as well, I I did uh, do a little bit of research just into the archive to find out our very, very uh, helpful and attentive listener who did suggest Adam Grohl. Oh, yeah. Who was it? It it was Miss Melanie Bordeaux from Belgium. Thank you so much. This was fantastic. Go, you Belgiumites. Great beer, great waffles. Um, All Belgium nationals are welcome on this show with great suggestions. Uh, Boy, I I, I used to live right next to Belgium when I was living in the Netherlands, and uh, I was very fond of heading down to Bruges and Brussels, Wonderful part of the world. Um, and what's another part of the world, Mark, that people can go to if they're thinking, I'd love to get into the archives of Moonshots? <laughs> it is a great segue, by the way. Um, <laughs> it is moonshots.io. Everybody can go and find all of our archived shows. Everything is on there, all 76 previous episodes uh, launching over the last couple of years. You can also see a sneak peek of some of the future shows that we're thinking about covering. Again, we're always, always open to submissions like Melanie's with any uh, suggested topics and innovators. We love to hear from our listeners what they would like us to to delve into. Um, you can also reach out to us at hello at moonshots.io. Every email is, uh, is read and responded to, so please do get in touch if you like. And uh, again, ratings and reviews, we read all of those too. So no matter what your do. method of uh, contact, we will get the message. So please stand. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. With no further ado, Mark, let's catapult ourselves. Let's throw ourselves into uh, the book Option B, which Adam Grant wrote with Shel Sambo. We're going to open it up with a big kind of thematic opening clip where uh, you'll also get to hear from Cheryl herself. So let's dive into the world of facing adversity. Two years ago, I lost my husband, Dave, unexpectedly, which is an unimaginable thing to live through. It felt like I was sucked into a void, like I couldn't quite breathe or think. I didn't think I was going to get through it. And I was even more worried about getting my children through it. I could barely get through it myself, let alone get my two children through this. We can't control what happens to us but we do have some influence over how we respond to the events and hardships in our lives. What Adam gave me were specific things I could do. We wanted to write a book that would combine her insights with the best evidence, but also with other people's stories. Becoming Paralyzed was not something, it was written on my uh, week at a glance, you know. On my 18th birthday, I was sent to prison. Sexual abuse led to wanting to end my life. When my mom was waked out on drugs, you know, I was pretty much raising my brothers and sisters. We all face challenges, and some of them are big and huge and traumatic, and some of them are the daily challenges, but we need resilience for all of it. Resilience is not a fixed personality trait. It's a lifelong project. A few weeks after Dave died, there was a father-son activity. Our friend Phil and I were talking about who should do it. I said, okay, well, that's good, but like, I want Dave. I want Dave to go with our son. And he said, option A is not available. So let's just kick the shit out of option B. 
when you don't have an option, when it's totally taken away from you forever, you go to option B. I discovered what many, many people discovered. You have a lot more grit than you think you do. I've got nothing to lose in trying to live the biggest life I can. Asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of strength to understand when you need help. In some way, we're all living option B. And the idea is how do we make the very most of it? Mm, it's a very, very honest, um, powerful trailer to the book. I think there's a lot of amazing stories within the book that we can take, uh, you know, lessons from. The, the key thing that comes to me after listening to that clip, actually, is this idea that Adam, as well as the, the individuals he's, he's, you know, interviewed for the book, which is that challenges come in all shapes and sizes. And we shouldn't, you know, think less of ourselves if we are responding to a challenge that might seem a little bit less significant than a loved one passing away, for example. You know, this idea of dealing with grief mm. and, and challenges, it's, as Adam says, it's not a fixed trait. You, you don't have complete control over everything. And this idea that it's up to us to take that alternative option and it's up to us about how we can react and respond to that, that moment, that challenge, that mm. speed bump perhaps, is, is really where it, where it comes through, I think. What do you think, Mike? I really like the fact that he, what, they, what Cheryl and, and Adam set us up for here is, look, you don't control everything around you and you, whether it's big or small, you're going to face adversity. So what Adam is really doing is challenging us to build that resilience muscle um, because it's the same thing, um, big or small, it's the same resilience muscle that you flex. And I love the fact that there was this uh, little sample, there's a little clip in there of a guy saying you have a lot more grit than you think. Mm. And I think this is really important when you are facing adversity and you think you can't beat it. Um, you will be amazed at the resilience that lays within us and so if you can find that as a reflex continuously, I think it sets you up to go and do great things, to have not only just a better day, but to be the very best version of yourself. And I think this book is perfect for anyone looking to get over something, get through something, or to just be more resilient overall and find the good things that happen when, when you are resilient. Now, what's interesting, Mark, is that this is not just uh, an individual activity. In fact, a big part of finding your own resilience, overcoming maybe worry or anxiety, is actually not only uh, doing it on your own, but doing it with others. And I think this is where the idea is now going to start to expand. So let's have a listen to Adam talking about sort of building collective resilience and how that starts with helping others. You know, I think if, 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 I, had to, if I had to guess on what, what's affected me the most, you know, the first thing I would say is it, this, it's just it's baked into the way that I see the world. Um, and sometimes I don't, even, I don't even realize it. So, you know, we, we finished writing this whole book about resilience. Yeah. And, um, you know, lo and behold, it turns out that the single biggest thing I learned about resilience is that we find resilience through others depending on us. Yeah. Right. When 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 we know that others need us, we find strength we didn't know we had. And I kind of already knew that, but it never occurred to me to say that in the context of resilience. Right. Yes. Um, and I think it's just it's a it's a fundamental truth of human nature. Right. That 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 purpose and meaning comes through you know the the time you spend serving other people, contributing to others, being there for others. I guess in in my life, what what impressed that on me more than anything else was was probably a few things. One was uh, I had a grandmother who was just beyond altruistic. I remember once, um, you know, my, my mom was hoping to go and, and exercise, and uh, there was a massive snowstorm, much worse than today here. Um, this is like, you know, the worst of Michigan snow. I think we had two feet. And uh, my grandmother did a 15-minute drive that took her two hours and 45 minutes to get to our house so that my mom could go exercise. 
And you know, she was just doing those kinds of things all the time. And I think when you're surrounded by those kinds of role models, um, there are two things that happen. One is that you become inspired to want to be like that. Yep. And the other is that you wonder, like, what, why? Like, who, who does this? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I think I, I repeatedly came across people who operated that way. I had my first diving coach, Eric Best, lived that way. He volunteered nine months a year and, and coached me for free out of the season just because, you know, he, he wanted to see me succeed. And, and he's, he really enjoyed that role. And he said, I will always put in the same amount of time that you put in. And, you know, you, when, when, people, when people are that giving, right, it, yeah. it just it, it makes a mark. And, you know, you start to think, well... I guess the thought I had was I, I think the most meaningful thing that I could do with my life is to try to pay that forward. Pay it forward. That's, it's a great clip um, because you're getting a sneak peek actually into some of Adam Grant's foundation. You know, you're mm. hearing a little bit about what it inspired him, which, which I think is really, really powerful. Um, mm. This idea that his uh, diving um, teacher and, and you know, trainer put in the time to, to always, always dedicate the same amount of time to go with Adam and, and, you know, commit himself to it is nice. And I like this idea that Adam would be inspired by the trainer taking the time out of his day to, to do the same. And that's where that strength comes. So no matter how tired you're feeling, no matter how, um, you know, down or distracted maybe you are, once you start looking at those around you and who's trying to help you, you do find you know, strength from that. You do find resilience from that. And, and as Adam says, you know, this idea of purpose and meaning from other people is a very, very uh, significant concept. But actually, when you do think about it in a proactive way, right, what am I struggling with? Okay, maybe it's as simple as me asking for help, or maybe it's as simple as me, mm. you know, saying an idea out loud. I, I think that's you know, it, it can be boiled right down to its its simplest form. Yeah, the the um, the idea that I think you know the funny thing as he was talking, I, I totally related to it from what you see when people uh, exercise together, when they go for a walk or they yeah. jog together. It's this mutual dependency make, makes them resilient, and they get out there and they go work out. Um, that's why a workout buddy is always such a good idea if you maybe motivation for working out doesn't come naturally get a workout buddy um mm -hmm. if you're facing challenges at work share it with a buddy i think the the other thing it's it's sort of like it's a team sport resilience but what's quite interesting is we often carry these burdens um and keep them to ourselves like things that really worry you it's it's quite unusual to see people really proactively sharing them. Yet you can obviously see that it, that you know sharing a burden um, and helping others turning resilience into a team sport is like makes total sense. The interesting things, the things that really bother us, and I see this in myself as well, big time, is I tend to carry that burden uh, on my own shoulders and keep it to myself. So I guess. What advice do you have for me, Mark? How do I turn this more into a team sport rather than bottling it all, all up inside? It, it's a, an area that I was really, really hoping that we would obviously delve into today because you're, you're totally right. A lot of the time we do feel as though we're carrying the world on our shoulders. And actually, I have a theory that because of that in your mind, you know how we've discussed in a previous show this idea of stress gets focused mm. into your shoulders, into your back, mm. and you know you can almost feel it. I have a mm. <laughs> my theory is, if you are convincing yourself, no, no, this is only for me to carry, your body responds accordingly. So if you if your brain and your mindset is I'm carrying the world by myself, then your body will start feeling tired because it is mm. carrying the world by itself. So my advice is get into a habit of um, recognizing. I think it starts with recognition. So I'm, I'm exactly the same. I tend to keep a lot of things, uh, you know, cards to your chest, so, so to speak. But I think when you recognize yourself feeling either a little bit overwhelmed or maybe you're questioning a decision or a, whether something is an opportunity or a, or a challenge perhaps, it's recognizing that as a moment 
when you can let somebody in mm. and through, you know, practice of saying things out loud to other mm. people, I think it becomes a little bit easier. I certainly struggled with it when I was a lot younger. I actually had dreams where my, uh, my dreams was, you know, tell me, no, Mark, you've got to say something out loud. You know, you've got to talk about something with somebody else. So I, I think once you start seeing, you know, those physical, you know, milestones, that's the opportunity to, to say, right, here, I'm going to carve out time. I'm going to go and talk to somebody else because a problem shared, shared is a problem halved. <laughs> mm. it's, so, it's so true. And I think that if we, were fa- if we want to kind of frame the first huge learning, I think it is in order to face adversity to know that it is a team sport and that for all of our listeners, I am sure there are things that bring you happiness, joy, fulfillment in your life. And if you're human, you'll also have some things kind of stressing you out too. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the the learning in this is Adam Grant is encouraging us to find someone uh, to to share that with, someone where you can tell what's on your mind. But the other thing is, and what we're going to get to later in the show, is that you can actually lead your way out by helping others first. And that's just another gift. It's like the Adam Grant gift that just keeps on Mm -hmm. on giving, but I don't want to steal the future clips. Um, Look, so now we get to this point, don't we, Mark, where we're in the crosshairs of facing adversity and building resilience. You know, Adam has, has primed us. We know it's a collective approach. It's not the world on my shoulders approach. And the moment that I think um, we really see adversity um, forcing us to make a choice for resilience or not is when a crisis hits. Um, when you know what hits the fan, this is the moment that we all need to kind of get ourselves out. And I think um, we all face some matter of crises, um, but I think it's this is the moment because I think our default is often to avoid a crisis or not acknowledge it because we might look bad or we might fear the outcome. But I think Adam Grant might have something to teach us here, don't you, Mark? I do. This is uh, the next clip is one of my uh, favorites from the Adam Grant series, actually, because it really, really does uh, speak to me. This, this clip is all, as you've just been saying, right. It's hit the fan. When crisis is around, it is up to us to control how we respond to it. And if we can manage it and think about how we change that pressure, we can actually use it to enhance the way that we work and our creativity. Crises tend to go in two directions. Uh, One is that they shut down creativity. The other is that they open it up. And I think a lot of that depends on how the crisis gets framed. So when crisis hits, people usually get nervous. And the thing they try to do is they try to calm down. And that actually doesn't work. Uh, If you give people the instruction to calm down when they're under serious stress or pressure, um, it has no effect on their emotional states whatsoever. And sometimes it makes them even more anxious because they try to calm down and they can't do it because they're feeling so much intense emotion. And then they get anxious about feeling anxious. (laughs) So they're meta anxious. And that tends to lead to a, a state that researchers call threat rigidity where they narrow their thinking and their field of vision and they just focus on like, how do I protect my job? How do I make sure that, you know, that I survive this crisis? The way that you open things up in crisis is you start by having people think about not how they can calm down, but how they can get excited. And the great thing about, about excitement is just like anxiety, it's a high intensity emotion. And just like anxiety, it also involves uncertainty. You feel anxious when you're not sure what's going to happen. You also feel excited when you're not sure what's going to happen. And so oftentimes what you can do is you can imagine, yes, like a crisis hits, there are reasons to be afraid. There are also reasons to be excited or hopeful about a, you know, a better outcome. And as you start to, to generate reasons why this might be an exciting opportunity, people are much more likely to reframe crisis as a chance to think creatively. A lot of people struggle with performing under pressure and... I think I've learned a lot from the research on this about optimists and what are called defensive pessimists. 
So think about the last time you took a big exam or test. About a week beforehand, optimists will envision the perfect outcome. And then they'll get really excited, and then that motivates them to study, and they do really well on the tests. Defensive pessimists have a very different experience, which is about a week and a half before the test. They wake up in the middle of the night having had a nightmare that not only did they fail the exam, but they did so badly that their teacher took away points on all their previous exams because there's no way they could have possibly known the material. And that panic motivates them to study. And anxiety really sort of channels all this effort and preparation. And what's interesting is by the time the exam comes up, they actually, a defensive pessimist, they do just as well as optimists. And there's only one way to sabotage the performance of a defensive pessimist, which is to make them happy. Because when they're feeling positive emotions, they don't get the anxiety that they need. And they get complacent and they don't study as hard. What I've learned from that is anxiety can actually be a helpful motivator as long as you experience it in advance of the pressure situation, right? So if you're going to give a big speech or you have to prepare for a difficult situation, um, ideally you get nervous ahead of time and you know that that will motivate you to prepare. And once you're prepared, your anxiety lowers because you know you've actually planned for a situation like this. Don't freeze up in the face of adversity. That, Mark, is the big takeout I just got. He's like, I mean, for me, this is everything um, that I relate to in this book. And I hope that you and our listeners also see that this is the very moment. This is it. When you know what hits the fan, when there is a crisis, when things are not going right and we're experiencing stress and anxiety, frame the crisis as an opportunity to think creatively, whether you use the the optimist or the pessimist approach, don't worry, but don't freeze up. Don't run away. Don't deny. Don't freeze up. Face it and deliberately say, how might we find a creative solution for this? To me, this is where I think I learn the most and I am sure uh, it feels very similar to you, like don't freeze turn it into an opportunity to think creatively. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, totally. What I've seen a lot in my career is recommendations and insights from from colleagues and leaders who have encouraged me to, you know, try and think different, try to look at something that is stressful or difficult. As Adam is saying, think of it, think of it as an opportunity to learn something from it. It's an opportunity to almost prove to yourself that you can deal with it. And if you can change your mindset and think of an opportunity, or sorry, as a a challenge, as an opportunity to be excited, I I, I think that's really, really powerful. It actually reminds me a little bit of when I was, uh, again, a lot younger. Um, I used to do uh, drama. I used to be in plays and so Mm -hmm. on at school. And actually Mm -hmm. one of the real key lessons that I remember from, you know, my teachers. And I think this is true for exams. I think this is true for pitches or big projects that you have. Instead of the night before thinking, oh no, it's all going to go wrong. It's putting your mindset, exactly as Adam is saying, in what is the perfect outcome? How can I go and achieve it? And this strange biological feeling that I'm having of, you know, butterflies in the stomach, Mm. it's actually excitement. Mm. It's actually that opportunity to go out and, right. and do my absolute best <laughs> at the challenge that I have in front of me. And I think that's really empowering. So when you've had these moments, um, he, he talks about the timing of things being very important, that you, you feel this uh, excitement or you know, nervous butterflies sufficiently before the moment. Tell me about how timing plays a role in you facing challenge, facing adversity and overcoming it, being resilient and, you know, not freezing up. How do you frame it as an opportunity to be creative? Tell me about the factor of time because I think this this plays a big factor in how we can succeed. Yeah, it, it's definitely a significant portion of Adam's work. He's obviously come at it in the data and he's seen those two variations of, of characters, mm. especially around exam season. For me, I think that 
from the out, it, it, I think the opportunity to identify it as a perfect opportunity uh, challenge um, to learn is when you see it on your radar as a, a milestone or a deadline. Mm. Let's say let let's say we're doing a workshop, and mm. we know that this is coming up. We can see it on the horizon. I think the positive way of of making sure the output is as strong and as impressive as possible for an individual like myself, for example, is to think about it ahead of time, as far ahead of time as you can. So, I mean, the truth is you probably start feeling the biological mindset aspect a little bit closer, you know, whether it's Mm -hmm. a day or two before, but actually I think the proactive way of doing it, and I think what Adam is encouraging us to do here, you know, he mentions a week and a half in advance of an exam, is to put that into our minds, you know, let's say 10 days ahead and, you know, almost uh, train your brain (laughs) into Mm -hmm. thinking about it every single day in that way. Mm. I I see exactly what you're saying. I would actually say that this builds on a theme that came up in originals, which is uh, what I mentioned, which is the one week concept, the seven days. And I feel that a lot of our um, anxiety around challenge and adversity is that we're not prepared. Mm. And so I think that if you have a big thing in your agenda, a talk, a deliverable, whatever it is, then get yourself organized. I think what Adam was alluding to is that if you have planned sufficient time, you're able to prepare, which gives you the capacity to move from anxiety to excitement. So for me, I can see this very vividly in both sports and in work. When I coach a rugby team and they're well-prepared, they're really focused, very enthusiastic to get out on the pitch. Just the same is when I'm well prepared, I've given more than a week to prepare a speech. I just can't wait to get out there and share it. Mm. And when the opposite happens, when not everyone turned up to training at rugby, when I've been too busy on other things and I agreed to a, to a speech or a deliverable that's now turning out very hard for me to make the time for, then things can get undone. And that's when the anxiety comes in. So I think timing and preparation plays a big role. And I think it goes even further. I I love the ritual of reflecting on my agenda every morning and every night. It's the first thing. It's the last thing of your work day. I think this is an essential way to know what's coming, to see things on your horizon. And I think like looking at your week view, looking at your month view, um, for example, you and I had a, had a conversation at the office just yesterday talking about how we should plan vacations over the coming uh, period because we've got a lot of different obligations with clients around the world and we're, we're deliberately having a conversation about vacation, even though these new projects are starting, because we need to be rested and ready uh, to, to do our best. To me, this is also a big part of facing adversity is being prepared, is being uh, 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 not just stuck in today, but actually starting to look over the horizon line and thinking about tomorrow. Absolutely correct. You know, your, your insight last week was very focused on um, creating a skeleton or a formation or a foundation of a proposal after you've had a meeting with a client um, mm. a week before the delivery. And you're right, mm. this, this is very, very reflected, I think, in, in even what Adam's saying. And I do like the practice of looking at the agenda at the first and last thing you do in the day. Mm. For me, that, mm. that speaks uh, quite significantly because it's very similar to this concept of read ahead. If you... Uh, let's yes. say you're in an exam, yes. you read yes. all the questions and your brain works mm-hmm. in the background and therefore mm-hmm. you are prepared when you get to question number 10. I think the same is true when you're looking at your calendar or your to-do list or your emails and you're thinking, okay, well, I know this is coming up. That's okay. At least I am aware of it. I think awareness mm-hmm. is, for me at least, something that is a very, very 
uh, tangible uh, thing that makes me anxious, the fear of the unknown. But actually when you start mm-hmm. to plan out your weeks and your days and you know when you're going to be attacking certain projects or, or certain things, certain obligations, it is a relief because <laughs> you know oh, yeah. time, time blocking as we've talked about. Oh, you're so right. Like so much anxiety comes from unknown outcomes or not really knowing the problem. So, you know, I do my best to attack problems with like fearlessly uh, just to go right at them because you, once you break them down into their component parts, that's sort of satisfying. And then you can start working your way towards a solution. But what, uh, Gangbuster first half of the show, Mark. We know that facing adversity is step one. Then you build the resilience. And and the back of that step three is you can find the joy, the happiness, and the fulfillment. It's a team sport, right? Um, and you know, by helping others, you're helping yourself. And when you find yourself in that moment of crisis, don't freeze up. Frame the crisis as an opportunity to be excited, to be creative in how you get to the solution. Um, I think already Adam has given us a lot. But before we get into the second half of the show, which is all about leadership and, um, you know, thriving amongst the people around you, Mark, if people are dead curious on the other two Adam Grant shows, where should they go to find our show notes and all our goodies? We've got show notes, we've got transcriptions, and we've got useful hyperlinks to various different platforms, all on www.moonshots.io. You'll find all of our archive shows, all 76, soon 77 when, once this show goes up, as well as lots and lots, like I say, of, of different links. We had the Culture Deck from Netflix. Last week we had how you could identify original thinking from Adam Grant's mm-hmm. website. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of links that I think I'll put up from uh, Adam's Option B site as well. Awesome. Uh, some great strategies to build everyday resilience that I'll put up in the show notes as well. Moonshots.io. .io is the place to be when you're thinking moonshots. And now we find ourselves taking a turn, having a bit of a, a change of pace because now – we're really going to get into this idea of uh, what a resilient leader really looks like, um, how they actually work. So we're going to hear from the man himself, Adam Grant, on what it takes to become a resilient leader. One of the things that I've watched a few leaders at Facebook do mm-hmm. is they actually share their performance reviews mm-hmm. openly. So Carolyn Everson uh, works in marketing and sales. I, I cannot believe that she did this. Yeah. She gets a performance review from her boss that tells her all the things that she could be doing better. Yeah. She shares it with all 2,400 people under her. And she wants people to know that she's working to get better. She wants them to know what she's working on so that they can give her relevant feedback and also point out her blind spots. Yeah. Um, and she also wants to create a culture where it's safe to admit that you're not perfect. Yeah. I would love to see more leaders do that because you get hard feedback then every day. Yeah. And the best way to build your resilience is to get in the habit of saying, you know what, I am struggling every single day mm-hmm. and I'm still getting through it and improving. Working to get better. What a great technique at showing the culture within the business. You know, this authenticity and transparency that exists, it's really quite empowering to a certain degree. You know, it's, you know, she's receiving this feedback, this constructive criticism and saying to the rest of the business, 2,400 people, hey guys, it's okay to not be perfect. We don't expect everybody here to be perfect. Even I myself, these are the comments uh, that I've received and I'm using this to see those blind spots, but also, Mm -hmm. uh, show how I can begin improving. You know, there might be a lot of people who also relate to some of these points Mm. and that's okay. (laughs) I I love this openness. I I have to say, Mark, just like take a moment. Carolyn Everson, head of sales and marketing at Facebook, 2,400 people in her team, shares her performance review, unredacted (laughs) to the whole organization. I have never, ever seen something like that. That is pretty damn brave. 
uh, it makes me feel totally inadequate as a leader. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, Mike, you're not even close to this. Um, wow, I mean, that is just radical candor and transparency and and openness. Um, yeah, wow. I, what do you think? What do you think gave her like? Take me through Carolyn's mind the first time she did it. What do you think she was thinking? Okay, I know there's some negative stuff in here. I'm going to share it with the team because mutual resilience. You know, going back to you know a couple of clips ago uh, from Adam Grant, I think right. what Carol see see is that this resilience does come from uh, it being a team sport. When you can look around and you know maybe you're in the locker room, maybe one of your um, trainers is giving some feedback to another individual. That's still pretty empowering because even though they have received that criticism, you can reflect on it, you can listen on it, but also you can empathize with the individual receiving it. Maybe you're thinking, oh, lucky I got away with it. <laughs> maybe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But for me, I think it's this mutual sharing, this opportunity mm. of saying, right, I get performance review once a year, twice a year, maybe, or however often it is, but I can show my team that it is okay to have, you know, maybe the odd speed bump here and there, the odd failing. Mm. And I, I don't know, I, I just feel like it's a really interesting cultural uh, thing to do. I mean, Mike, you say that, yeah, wow, this is an incredibly brave thing to do. What do you think would be the stopper for you to, to do the same? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, until we had sourced this clip, I'd never even thought of doing this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's how radical this thought is, and how exciting it is. Um, I mean, I've hardly really processed it. In that, uh, what I really like about what you said is it's building collective resilience. This is a great example of the earlier clip, where it's like it's a team sport. We're all in it together, and I think it. I think what it does is it transforms people in a team to know that we're all trying to be our best selves and we're all working on it. And the, the leader is not outside of that process. They're very much part of that process as well. And I think that's so powerful. I mean, it's a really exciting space to be in is when you can actually start talking about areas of improvement so openly and so candidly. But what's even better about Adam Grant is that he pushes us even further uh, in thinking about with whom we can seek advice from and who we can share our challenges with. So let's have a listen now to Adam Grant talking about advice for raising resilient kids. I think parents have always cared about resilience for their kids, but we have more overprotective parents now than we ever did in the past. We have parents who, you know, are kind of hovering around like helicopters. We have parents who raise their kids in, in bubbles. We have parents who make sure that their kids get a trophy for every single thing that they do. And I think because of that, a lot of kids are, are actually sheltered from some of the setbacks that might actually help them practice the skills of resilience. And one of the things as a parent that, that I've found really powerful about this is when I'm going through a difficulty, I have started asking my kids for advice, actually asking them, well, what would you do in a situation like this? Allows them to feel like I trust their judgment. It can normalize struggle for our kids and show them, look, everybody has you know, setbacks and everybody faces adversity. My wife and I have three kids. Our daughters are nine and six and our son is three. I was preparing for a big speech and I was a little bit nervous and I went to one of our daughters and I said, what, what should I do? And she said, well, the first thing you should do is you should think about the times when you were nervous before and it went really well. And that will, you know, kind of reassure you. And then you should also find somebody in the audience who's smiling and who, you know, kind of gives you a little bit of encouragement and you should look at that person. And so a few weeks later, she had a, a school play to be in and she was a little nervous. And instead of me saying, oh, here, I know the answer. I said, well, what, what, what did you tell me to do when I was in that situation? And she remembered right away and she was really excited for the school play. And yeah, I even saw her kind of looking for the person in the audience who was beaming that she could connect with. Every kid faces adversity. In some cases, it's serious, but there's also the minor setbacks that are part of every kid's life. 
failing a test, forgetting lines in a school play, being rejected socially. They need the strength to be able to face them and say, look, I can get through this and even be able to learn from that situation. The more that we can equip our kids to face difficulties and bounce back, not just to where they were before, but stronger, the better their lives will end up being. It's it's a very sweet clip as well, isn't it? Um, I think it there's, there's a very uh, key insight that, that comes through for me, um, which is how Adam asks his uh, daughter for a little bit of advice and then uses it as an opportunity to um, encourage her when she herself finds something a little bit anxious, a little bit stressful. Mm. You know, not only was her point of view to Adam very fresh, um, and, you know, I love this, this, this great technique of finding someone in the audience who's smiling to encourage you, but it's also, it works the other way around. And I think, again, this is another good demonstration of this collective resilience that, again, the previous clip, was talking about as well as one earlier, which is when you do open up about stresses that you might be experiencing or challenges that you might be facing and ask for other points of view or, or fresh eyes even on some of the work that you might be doing, mm. you'll find a great encouragement and strength coming from others. And this is really something that has come through, particularly in this book, which is this mutual or group connection that can be created in times of adversity and by joining together whether it's with your uh 2400 employees or whether it's your your children or whether it's your colleagues like you and i it is that moment of trying to come together at moments of stress in order to leave it much much stronger what do you think mike i think it's again it's a really interesting one i mean i as a, as a father, I try very much uh, to build resilience and fortitude in my son. Um, you know, he, he has an incredibly demanding school life. Um, and um, the one thing I just learned from Adam Grant is uh, I can be more deliberate in asking him for, for tips and advice for myself rather than always, you know, dad with all his... Mm. wisdom with all these moonshot wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> that's so that's pretty hilarious. So I'm, I'm having all sorts of breakthroughs in the back half of the show here, Mark. Um, okay. No, I think it's, it, it is bang on. It's a team sport. And I think there's some sort of flywheel effect that he's pointing out that if we're always reminding each other, sometimes he only had to remind his daughter of what she had told him. But sometimes as we fight the good fight, we need that reminder. As we go out to try and be the best we can be, sometimes we forget some of the very principles we might be telling others. Um, so I think this is, it's just fantastic advice. Um, this, I, I love this idea that resilience is a team sport and we can all help each other. Mm. It's, it's fantastic. But, but Adam's work is not done, is it, Mark? No, it isn't. I mean, just to revisit a couple of the key things we've seen. Uh, I think the, the, that clip we've just listened to about his, his children, it actually culminates a lot of the insights that we've seen throughout the show so far. You know, challenges come in all shapes and sizes, whether it's forgetting your lines at your school play, whether it's a big pitch or a workshop coming up, or whether it's, you know, uh, Mark and Mike, prepping for the next episode of Moonshots. You know, these are all opportunities that uh, can often present themselves as obstacles. But actually, it's always an opportunity, like we've said already, an opportunity to grow and an opportunity to get excited and make the most of that opportunity. And I think you'd agree, Mike, that's the behavior that we've seen in all of our Moonshots, in all of our mm. innovators, isn't it? This, this it never is. give up attitude. I believe resilience is is massive. Lady Gaga, uh, Oprah Winfrey, uh, just I mean the list goes on and on and on. The the um, I think what happens is when you're building your resistance, um, I think it sets you up on a platform where once you see it work 
a few times that you've actually been able to overcome adversity, that you're actually building resilience. It's like the gym or like any athletic sport. Once you see your body starting to get quite strong and you're like, dang, this, this, this exercise and working out is really starting to pay dividends, then that's the, the reinforcement to go to the next level. And I think this next and final clip from Adam is really about us going to the next level. And it really comes in the resilience to have the right conversations and to seek out, you know, the right arguments, the right feedback, the right conversations. So let's have a listen to our last and final clip of Adam Grant talking about how to give feedback so people can hear that you're really trying to help. I read the study not long ago, which showed that highly creative adults grew up in families where their parents argued more. Not only argued more, but argued in front of their children, which you know, as, as a dad, I just thought it was something you're never supposed to do. And yet, the more I read about this research, the more I realized that if you never disagree in front of your kids, they think there's one right answer to everything. Whereas if they see you argue, they realize there might be multiple perspectives on a problem, and they have to learn to think for themselves. It's not how often parents argue that affects kids' well-being, it's how constructively they argue. There are a few rules for, for good arguing that I like to follow. One is to argue like you're right, but listen like you're wrong. Instead of arguing to win, you can argue to learn, and then you have to acknowledge when your, your opponent has made a good point. I think most of us are terrible at hearing criticism. Uh, think about what happens to you physically. Your shoulders start to tense, your body tightens up, your heart races, and you, you just feel like you're, you're being physically attacked. There's an experiment I love about how to give criticism so that other people really hear it, and it only takes about 19 words. I'm giving you these comments because I have very high expectations of you, and I'm confident that you can reach them. It changes the conversation. Instead of saying, oh no, this person's about to attack me, the person receiving the feedback says, oh, this person's trying to help me. I spent a lot of time working with Sheryl Sandberg, the CEO of Facebook, and have learned a lot from watching her lead. One of the things that Sheryl Sandberg noticed was that as she climbed up the hierarchy in her career, people stopped giving her negative feedback. Sheryl's obsessed with feedback. In fact, she's been told that she asked for too much feedback as a point of feedback. But one of the things that I've watched her do in meetings is she'll open a meeting by giving herself negative feedback out loud, saying something like, I know I talk too much in meetings, and I'm trying to work on that. The other thing she often does is she'll open a meeting and, and go through the agenda and then go around the room and ask for every single person to give their viewpoint before she shares hers so that people aren't catering you know, their, their opinion to what they think the boss wants to hear. When I was 26, I was barely out of grad school and I got signed up to teach a, a half-day class on motivation. And after I committed, I found out it was going to be generals and colonels in the U.S. Air Force. I was half their age. They looked like they were right out of the movie Top Gun. I walked in and I felt like I had to establish my credentials, you know, why I was qualified to teach the class. And I delivered the class, I could tell it was not going well. And when I read the feedback forums afterward, it was even worse than I had feared. There was one guy who wrote that there was more knowledge in the audience than on the podium. There was another who said, I gained nothing from this session, but I trust the instructor gained useful insight. It was like a dagger to the heart. Uh, and I wanted to quit, but I'd already signed up to do a second session. I shifted my approach and I walked in and I said, I know what you're all thinking right now. What could I possibly learn from a professor who's 12 years old? Then I heard a, a colonel pipe up. His, his code name was Hawk. And he said, no, no, that's way off base. I'm pretty sure you're 13. And after that, I delivered basically a carbon copy of the same material from before. But the feedback forms were night and day different. And I think what, what I learned from that was sometimes acknowledging our weaknesses, uh, you know, sort of admitting our limitations can actually make us stronger. Mm. It's a good, you know, it's a classic moonshot clip there. There's so much, oh, yeah. <laughs> so much to delve into. Um, and it's a great way, I think, to, to, to end, you know, episode 77 on, on Adam Grant. For me, uh, what I really, really uh, take from what Adam's saying here is seeing everything from multiple perspectives, no matter how much prep you can do. Obviously, Adam would have prepared for that talk that he was, he was giving to the colonels. There's still occasionally going to be um, moments when you'll either receive some challenging comments or, or, or even pushback or, or real criticism. And I think as we've learned from this entire episode, you've got to view that as an opportunity to learn. Don't take it on 
don't take it to heart and decide to quit because that isn't necessarily the the innovator or the moonshot personality that you know we've been talking about. Instead, as Adam's saying, he came back stronger. He came back with a different approach. He came back a little bit more honestly and like he was saying, you know, listening like he was wrong. And it made him better. And it's a great demonstration of learning from a real, real adverse and negative moment and coming out of it stronger. It does, doesn't it? And I think, like, could you imagine trying to face up for a second day after everyone had given such poor feedback oh, on them? <laughs> Air Force commanders, oh my Lord. But I love this thing. I think it, what it was, now you have to help me here, Mark. I may have written it down wrong. Was it argue like you're right, listen like you're wrong? Correct. Argue like you're right. How could, have that conviction, listen like you're wrong. Have the, um, the discipline humility. on yourself, humility, exactly, to know, oh, actually, no, you, you could be right. Maybe I am wrong. Maybe subjectivity is getting in the, in the way of me seeing the big picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's super powerful. Now, so the question is, uh, was the crisis clip or the or that final clip, which one was the mega clip of today? Which one packed the most punch? Oh, actually, it, it, that's a pretty tough one, I think, uh, for me. I think it could though, be a draw. I think it's got to be a draw. I think it's got to be a draw. I mean, the crisis clip, so that's number three halfway through. I, yeah. I get a lot from that. It encourages me to you know, be my best self. Don't limit yeah. your delivery. Don't put in all the work and then struggle at the last hurdle because of anxiety or nerves. Uh-huh. It's the easiest way for an idea to come across, you know, weaker than, than you've probably put into it. Um, uh-huh. You know, you don't get, see Adam spending a couple of years doing lots and lots of research and then not being able to communicate it at that final moment. <laughs> you know, obviously he's well-versed in it. But for me, turning a challenge into an opportunity and to get excitement from anxiety. I don't know. That's a pretty strong lesson there. It is. It is. And, and look, no matter how you cut it, we have learned to give uh, and take. We've learned how to think originally. And now we've learned how to face adversity and build resilience. What a series from Adam Grant. What a show this was as we learned that on the other side of resilience is joy, happiness, and contentment, but she can only get there through understanding this is a team sport. And when those moments start to hit, you have to not freeze. That's for sure what you don't do, but you actually have to reframe things. And that a crisis is an opportunity to get excited about a creative new approach to any sort of challenge. And if you do that, you can actually really start the ball rolling. And when you do, you'll be ready to support others, even take feedback from your peers and from your kids. Um, And that to me is such a wonderful gift. And I think really leads to you contributing to the rise and to others thriving all around you. I mean, Mark, did you expect so much from one author? Oh, what a, what a series, you know, thank you again, Melanie Bordeaux for your great recommendation. I know Mike, you've, you've obviously encountered Adam for for me, it was a fantastic journey through all of, of Adam's work. So thanks to, to Adam and all his uh, research team, of course, as well, as well as Cheryl for this episode. Fantastic. Absolutely. So there you go. That brings us to the end of the Adam Grant series. It has been, as they say down under, an absolute cracker. Uh, it's really been wonderful. And thank you to you, Mark, and thank you to all our listeners uh, for coming on the Adam Grant journey, but there's plenty more gas in the tank. There's a lot more left from the team here at Moonshots because before we go into the world of Gary V, we have decided to supplement, to augment, to have a little entremont between that. We're going to go, inspired by Michael Jordan in The Last Dance, we're going to go deep on Michael Jordan, then Serena Williams, and then lastly, Joe Rogan. And then we will catapult ourselves back into the world of jab, jab, right hook, Gary, Vander, Chuck. There is so much learning ahead for all of us. Mark, thank you. Are you energized? Are you ready to crush your day? Woof. I am totally energized. I'm ready for it. Let's go. Nice. 
Nice. I'm pretty damn ready myself. So thank you again, Mark. Thank you to all our listeners for joining us on the final part of the Adam Grant series here on the show. It's been wonderful. Thank you uh, to all of the contributions from you all around the world. Uh, It really does make this show special. So thank you to all of you once again. This is the Moonshots Podcast. That's a wrap.